It's so great to be in the house of the Lord. And um, I just want to say that uh, at, at the very end, we are going to, to meet with those of, those of us in our midst who are visiting us for the, for the first time. But in the meantime, I want us all to turn to the book of John chapter 17. For the next couple of uh, weeks, we are going to be looking at a theme and different aspects of the theme. Um, just carrying on from, from where pastor has been, has been preaching on and others as well. Today, I want us to look at the call to oneness and why. There is a call to oneness that God has given us and why it is important. Amen? That's what we're going to be looking at. The call to oneness and why. There's a story that is told of an elephant that was very good friends with an ant. Elephant and ant. And one day, they used to take a lot of uh, walks together as friends would usually do. And one day, they were uh, walking in the jungle and they came to a rickety old bridge that didn't seem to give much promise to hold up an elephant. But they decided to cross. And as they crossed that bridge, the ant was actually riding on the elephant's head. And because it was a very old bridge, you know, have you been to those bridges where they tell you this is the way and we're going to cross that bridge? And you begin to think whether your relationship with the Lord is okay. Just because of the way the bridge looks. So they are crossing this bridge and it's creaking and it's shaking, it's swaying from side to side, obviously because of the elephant. And they are talking and that bridge shook so much that it should really have snapped. And that should have been the end of them if they fell into the ravine. But they made it to the other side. They made it to the other side. The elephant turned and looked at the bridge and the ant says, wow, we really shook it, didn't we? Now, the choice of the characters in the story are not accidental. Many times, when we go through stuff, we look back and we say, I made it. The truth was, God was carrying you all along. Many times, we manage to accomplish things that make people say, how did this happen? Unfortunately, many times we take the glory for ourselves when you should have said, it was God that made me do this. And I will tie in this story with our, our topic today, later on at the end. But in John chapter 17, this one of, is becoming one of my favorite passages in scripture. I don't know, maybe because it's, this was the, one of the last prayers that Jesus gave uh, before he was crucified. So if you're like me and you are the age that I am, you begin to think a lot about heaven and what happens after you leave. What legacy you would have left on this earth. And Jesus is praying a prayer that really speaks a lot about the legacy he wanted to leave on earth. That's John chapter 17. It's a prayer. 
and he is praying for his disciples, the ones that he had with him. And he prays even for those that were to come. So let's pick the story up in, in verse 20. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Now, who are these that he's praying for? He is praying for his disciples that he had with him physically at that point. So he's saying, Lord, I am praying for these, but not these alone, but also those who will believe through their word. We'll come back to that one. Verse 21. That they may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them. And that they may be, ju- may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Where is Jesus right now? In heaven. And so he's praying. Before you even go to to heaven, you're saying, where I'm going to be, that's where I want these ones. And the ones who will come because of their preaching, their ministry, I want all of them to be with me where I am going to be. Now, when you fast forward and you go to the description of heaven in Revelation 20 onwards, that's a place you don't want to miss. Read it. Heaven is not a place you want to miss. It's beautiful. It's amazing. In the words of some commercial, they said, amazing. Heaven is an amazing place. In spite of all the beauty, the streets of gold and everything else, eating without gaining weight, I'm looking forward to that. The amazing thing about heaven is that God will be with his people. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's, that's my prayer for these people. That's my prayer for the disciples that are going to come. He had so much faith. That the disciples he was giving this commission to, when you come to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all the way to 20, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and so on, he had such faith that this was going to work. Jesus was a risk taker. Let's move on. 25. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have declared to them your name, and I will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. So there's a call to oneness, and there are reasons for that call. And dare I say, even preempted right now, we benefit if we walk in the oneness that Jesus Christ is talking about. Hallelujah. Be selfish. You benefit. It's okay. So a couple of observations. Verse 20, the Lord is praying for his disciples, as I've already said. The ones that he had at that point in time physically, and the ones who are yet to come. That, by the way, includes you and me, and those who are to come. 
Jesus already prayed for us. When he was praying this prayer, even though Sunganani was not born, he knew there will be such a young man as Sunganani and he needs to know me. I need to be with him where I'm going to be. He already knew. And there are those who are going to come through my preaching of the word, through your preaching of the word, through your challenging them to know Jesus Christ for themselves. Hallelujah. Isn't God beautiful? That even before we were born, he chose us to be with him. And everything that needed to be done for us to be with him, he did. And he said, it is finished. All we need to do is make that decision to join him. So the first observation is that this was a prayer. Jesus is praying to God the Father. And he says, I, I, I am praying for those that will even come later on. And, and verse 21, it says, verse 21, it says that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And they also may be in us. Jesus in the Father and the Father in Jesus. There's already a oneness there. There's a unity. There's a togetherness. And Jesus says, but I want them into this thing too. Amen. Jesus did claim to be one with God on many occasions. In John chapter 10, verse 30, the Bible says that Jesus was talking with the Pharisees. There was, there was a whole um, debate going on where Jesus says, I and my father are one. In Chichewa, it kind of sounds better. Ndifiamozi. Okay? We are one. I and my father are one. And because of that statement, the Jews took up stones again to stone him. This, this was not the first time. This was again. They don't even tell us it's a second time or a third time. But they just said again. <laughs> and Jesus answered them, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, other versions say, being a mere man, make yourself God. You see what is happening? I like it when, when, when politics, flares up and politics flares up in this country. You find somebody on the streets. Somebody on the streets, you hear me? Somebody who has walked a long distance to come into town, probably by the end of the day, they will make maybe like 3,000 kwacha. But when their party wins, they say, we are in power. We. And they have never made a decision <laughs> that would affect policy, ever. But they say, this is our time. We. They make themselves one with the ones who are actually ruling. Everybody wants that kind of oneness. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. You see it in, in, in some ministries and churches. The leader does something and says, yes, that's what we do. All of a sudden, because it is a victorious thing or it's a nice thing, we say, yes, that's what we, we do. Mm-hmm. 
That, that's us. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's human nature. We want to belong somewhere where there's greatness happening. But this kind of oneness that Jesus Christ claimed got him into trouble because the Jews understood he is claiming to be one with God, a mere man. But he was right. Amen? He was right. The kind of oneness Jesus was claiming, is it was at the level that he did not do anything unless he saw his father do it. When you go to John chapter 5 verse 19, he says, I don't do anything unless I see my father do it. Let's go to John chapter 5. We'll start from verse 19. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the son also does in a like manner. I, it's, it's, it's an unparalleled kind of unity that you want, you, you marvel at. Amen. And let's just take an example. When you go down there to verse 21, I believe, Jesus gives an example. He says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he wills. Only what he saw the Father do is what he did, only what he heard the Father say is what he said. That was the success of Jesus' ministry. Amen? Amen? In verse 22, the Bible tells us that the father judges no one, but he has committed all judgment to the son. So, God, there's such a oneness, a unity, that God is not scared to delegate to Jesus what needs to be done. You know, there are times I'll, I'll, I'll tell my children and i say, okay, Go outside, tell so-and-so this. And sometimes we have had some disasters because they didn't quite catch what I was trying to say. <laughs> the message I was giving, um, just yesterday we had that one. I said, so-and-so is going to come. You show them this. But because of the way I said it, the mistake was mine. The person ended up uh, looking at a different thing. And I had to pay double for the person to come back. Uh, you know? And the guy says, you know, but this is what they said. I said, I understand. I had total confidence in sending one of my children to say, when the person comes, tell them this, even though it was wrong. God the Father commits all the judgment to the son and he says, the son will judge. Because whatever he judges will be coming from me anyway. It's all right. Amen. I've seen some people. I'll not mention names, but this is an open secret. They stand on the podium with the press of the entire world looking at them. And they say it has pleased the president. And they say things that probably even the president didn't know the details about. There's a oneness happening there. Presidential spokespersons are very interesting people. They will answer you. You would think they had a long conversation with the president about this issue and this is what the president thinks. No, sometimes it's just, there's this issue, sir, and, and they'll say, handle it. If there's trust, if there's oneness, they'll just say, handle it. 
and they will go there and they will talk. And these are issues that involve maybe national issues or international issues. Public relations officers are people that I love to watch. Something happens. We have one on some group from our class sometime, sometime back. And she's a spokesperson of one of the organizations. And when something happens, and uh, we tell her on the group, you know, there's this, 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 this. could you look into it? Uh, the position of the organization is that, 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 that this has already been done. And actually, but the truth is, has this already been done? Or this is PR. Very interesting. But PR works really good when there's oneness. PR works really good when there's oneness. Okay, let's move on. We also see the same oneness happening in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 when God says, let us make man in our image. The same oneness is at work here. Now, let me remind you that God, our Lord God is one. Now, uh, I don't want to go into the discussion about the Trinity. You know, that word is not in the Bible. No, there's three. God, God is one. No, there's three in one. All I can say is what another wise man said. If you try to understand the Trinity, you will lose your mind. If you deny it, you may lose your life. There are some things we just need to get them by faith. But all I'm saying is that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit will never work in contradiction with each other. They always work as one unit. Okay? So there's a call to oneness. That's the first thing I want to to say. The second thing is, why is oneness critical? Why should we be even bothering to talk about oneness? And in 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 the weeks to come, we'll make some applications in some areas which I believe that God would want us to, to look at. But the world... In verse 21 of, of, of John chapter 17, Jesus begins to tell us why he thinks that oneness is very, very, very critical. And the first one is that the oneness that his disciples were going to display was going to prove to the world that he was sent from God. He says that they may all be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you you have sent me. Do you know even now, in spite of the fact, and this is a fact, that there's more evidence of Jesus being alive than Aristotle. Factual evidence, historical evidence. There's more evidence that Jesus was alive, he lived on this earth, than that Aristotle was alive. I want to challenge you, look into it. But even though the life of Jesus is laid for all to bear, to bear for all to see by scripture and by history. And this is history, not just written by Christians, by others who are not even Christians. His life is laid bare. All the claims he made and the proofs he gave. There are still some people who have difficulty believing that Jesus Christ was sent of God. Oh, he was just a good teacher. Oh, he was just a prophet, they say. But look, when you look at John chapter 14, verse 16, verse 6, when he says that I am the way, the truth, or the life, in the words of C.S. Lewis, paraphrased, he says, either either Jesus knew what he was talking about, in which case what he said was the truth, or he was lying. Or he was a madman and didn't know what he was talking about. 
You know, mad people, a mad person can come and talk to you like they knew you at some point and you have never met. But when you look at the evidence, it doesn't give us any of the last two choices. It gives us only one. You've got to come to the conclusion that Jesus was sent of God. There are people who have said, what if it's not true that Jesus was sent of God? What if you die and realized all you had believed was, 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 not, was not true? And I say, well, at least I think I would have lived a better life than I should have. I had a discussion with my kids the other day. I was asking them, what if your dad didn't know Christ? They said, no, uh, no, it's okay. You know Christ, it's fine. You know, we like you better the way you are with Christ. <laughs> and, and it's scary to ask your children questions sometimes. But number two, in verse 22, the glory of the Lord rests where there is oneness in him. God shows up. He shows off where, where there's oneness in him. Hallelujah. In John chapter 14, verse 21 and verse 23, paraphrasing, Jesus says, when you, believe, when you do his teaching, when you, when you obey his commands, he and the Father will come and make their home, their dwelling in you. He begins to manifest himself in you because you have chosen to obey him. Now, where there are two or three who are like that, the glory of the Lord begins to show. And there's a reason why that glory is important to be displayed. Number three, we are made perfect or we are brought to complete unity in Christ. Verse 23 says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one. That word perfect is what the, the NIV uh, translates as complete unity. You are moving as a unit. A good example, just look at ants. The way they do things, ants. They will have this object here on the floor. One is pulling this way, one is pulling that. And for, for, the, for a brief moment, you would think this is chaos. But when you look closely, this thing has got a particular direction it is going into. Complete unit. Hallelujah. There's something about a group of people who have got a unity of purpose. They are unified with a vision and they are empowered by the same spirit that somehow the world cannot stand but give away and let them achieve great things. It's something that God has given us. Okay, so number three. We, we talked about that there's a call to unity. Why the uni, uh, oneness, rather, is critical. And then the third thing is we have to look at what is oneness. What is oneness? According to the Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 21, he says that oneness is you, Father, are in me, and I in you. So that also may be, they may also be one in us. It, it, it starts at a personal level. To be in Christ and him in you. Just as he was in God, 
and God in him. I can't remember who it was that, that, that taught us this when we were young in Christ. He was speaking to the young women. He said, young ladies, when a man, a young man is interested in you, he has to go through Christ to get to you. So, bury yourself in Christ. Develop your values in Christ. That when a young man begins to notice you, because what happens is the more you follow Christ, you just begin to stand out. You are the light on a hill. It's interesting that the women who are given over to Christ, just as the young men though, but I'm focusing on the women now, they stand out that even the men who are not in Christ begin to desire those women. But you are living an immoral life. Why are you desiring a woman who is living a pure life? And they've got all sorts of answers that defy logic. But they have them. So this man was, this servant of God was telling us, he was saying, I need you ladies to give yourselves over to Jesus Christ completely. That when a young man comes and he says, oh, I'm interested. They have to go through Christ first. Because you are in him. You are safe in him. And may God give you the discernment to know which one to say yes to and which one to say mm, red flags. Amen? I was saying that was an example of you being in Christ and Christ being in you. We'll explain it in John chapter 15. Verse 1 to 5. Let's read there. Let's go there and read. John chapter 15 verse 1 to 5. Sorry, 5 to 6. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, in other words, if we maintain this oneness, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. So what is oneness? Oneness is when you are one in spirit with Christ and you remain that way. You maintain it. Amen? I used to think that, oh, after I married my wife, everything was just going to be smooth sailing. 21 years down the line, I know you have to fight off things that threaten your oneness. It includes your children. It includes your in-laws, outlaws and bylaws if you have them. You know, there are some in-laws you just say, hey, I have to love them by faith. And they come in your home and they do things that threaten the oneness between you and your wife. You have to maintain it. Sometimes I have been the one threatening our oneness. And she has had to say, you do X, Y, Z. I really wish you would stop it because it's threatening us. 
But we'll look at that in another series, in another episode to come. But Jesus says that I want you to remain in me. When you do that, I will remain in you. And then because of that oneness that we will have, there will be fruitfulness. You become just a a, a more pleasant person. Yes, you go through stuff, but you know Christ is with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. God will give you guidance where you need guidance. God will give you comfort where you need comfort because you have chosen. I, as for me, I will remain engrafted to this vine. This is where I get my sap from. This is where I get my nourishment from. This is where I get my strength from. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, you see it's a decision you have to make. It's a decision you have to make. I can easily make a decision and start going out with other women. No matter how much sense is pumped into my head, but if I have decided, if I have decided, it's where people say, let him go. They will wisen up at some point. In Chichewa, we say, because the person has decided. One of the questions I ask people when we're doing marriage counseling, two people come, there are issues happening. The first question I ask is, do you want to fight for your marriage? If they say no, I say, we're not wasting any more time. That's it. You may go. I, I don't have time to be struggling with people who don't want to work on their marriage. You understand? And time is precious. If you want to work on your marriage, you have come, then let's talk. The other thing I say is, do you want to tell us the truth? So if you were the one who, who was the problem, admit it. You, you gain nothing by lying to me. Because by the way, I have my own marriage to work on. So I don't need your wahala to come and take my time. Because you are dealing at that point with there are some people who have decided as for me no matter what they say I have made up my mind I'll go out and do it again. Because they have decided. So Jesus is saying you need to decide to remain in me. If you do not remain in me you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Anytime you see somebody move away from Christ, their walk with him withers. The character they have built with Christ over time, it withers. And soon enough, they walk away from the fellowship with God's people. And it's downhill from there. You just know this one is on their way out. And no matter what front they put up, they are struggling. But they're too proud, most likely, to come back and say, I need help. Let me echo the words of Pastor Macduff. When things are hard in your life, that is not the time to go away from God. That is not the time to go away from God's people. Hallelujah. That is not the time. I've told you about buffaloes. Remember? How they move in a herd. 
The young, the old, the sick, the wounded, they are in the, in the center. The ones who are fit are around. Why do they do that? Because their predators, the lions, know they cannot take a buffalo one-on-one. One lion against one buffalo, lion will lose. That's one ton of angry beef you don't want to mess with. So the lions know that what we need to do is to find a strategy to somehow break this herd. And when the, once the, the herd is broken, we target the young ones, we'll target the weak ones, we'll target the sick ones. And when one buffalo is like, oh, I'm too weak, I'm too sick, what happens is that now the leader of the buffalo herd sends a detachment that stays with this one. Until they recover, they're protecting this one. It's very interesting what buffaloes do. May we be buffaloes in Christ. Ah, I don't know if there's such a thing. But it's a very good quality to say, no, 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 no. This one is struggling. This one needs comfort. This one needs nurturing. You detach a contentment and say, look after this one until all is well. Catch up with us. Because once that weak one is on its own, the lions have an, an easy meal. Hallelujah. So, don't be that branch that is good to be thrown away into the fire. That's not God's will. His will is for us to be in him and him in us. And then you begin to enjoy the goodness of the Lord. You begin to enjoy when, when, when David says that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He takes me to the still waters. You will know what that it means. In the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16. The book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16. The Bible says, I still hear some flustering of pages, so I'll wait a little bit. But in Colossians, chapter 1, verse 16, uh, a, a, a brother shared this in the past week. Those of you who are married know we've been praying for, for, for couples um, this week. We've been praying for our families this week. He shared this, this verse and it, it just stood out and said and, and I realized, yeah, this is really true. Verse 16 of Colossians chapter 1 says, for in him, talking about Christ, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Read Proverbs chapter 8 to get why, how Christ fits in all this. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. I don't know why I keep coming back to marriage. Even your marriage. Verse 17. He is before all things and in him all things. How many? All things hold together. All I can say is, it is wise to be in Christ and to remain in Christ. To be one with him. Do you know when you are friends with Christ Jesus, he will tell you of things to come. He will prepare you of things to come. He will. He needs to prepare you. He knows what is coming ahead of you and he says, I need to prepare them this way and that way and that way. One, my wife tells a story of how 
our home was something she cherished very dearly. And all the ladies with homes say, Amen. Yeah. Because I discovered the home you are building, I think the husband owns the garage, the wife, the kitchen, and everything else. Maybe if you have an office. But God had to prepare her to let go of that house. And we didn't understand why until my mom got sick. And we had to leave our house and go and take care of my mom. But God knew, if I don't deal with this one now, it will be a big problem. And he did it. (laughs) Amen. God will tell you of things to come. He will prepare you. He will show you what is going to happen. God is a God who would tell Paul and say, you are going to Jerusalem. And you're going to leave Jerusalem. But when you leave, you live in chains. So Paul was prepared. So that when this other prophet came and when things were happening, he wasn't moved because he knew. God already prepared me for this. Because what if God had not prepared Paul for that? He would have probably been, he would have gone mental. We don't know. Because some things that happen to us in life, without the grace of God and God preparing them, us for it, Hey, where would we be had it not been for the Lord? Where would we be? So in his grace, he prepares us for that. If you are not in Christ, then everything begins to fall apart in your life. Colossians 1 verse 17 tells us that he is before things and in him all things, everything holds together including your life, it's held together because you are in Christ. This church is held together because we are in Christ. By the grace of God, we are held together. I have seen church splits. I have seen people in church fight physically. Blows. I've seen it. You know why? There were those who were saying, (laughs) I remember there was a time I'll not give details, but there was a time there was a row about a pastor. We had been praying for a pastor for a long time. And God gave us a pastor. And we said, oh, praise the Lord. God has given us a pastor. And this guy was, was good in the word. He would preach the word and you walk away from church going, hmm, I really need to work on that. Or oh, today it was encouraging and so on. But then when he began to hit at things that some of the people were doing in church and making them right, all of a sudden it was not the pastor God had given us. And confusion set in. There were those who were like the dinosaurs of the church. You know, they were there before you even put the foundation stone of the church. They were like, no, this is not how we do things. Who is this guy? And they stirred up confusion. And, and, and in the youth ministry, we said, mm, the way things are going. I was leading the youth ministry. One of the young men says, the way things are going, we need to pray. And the people in the church were like, pray, pray. What prayer? We can't pray. This is clear and straightforward. Hey. And it reached a point where people fought physically. Why? There were others who were saying, let's depend on Christ to sort this thing out. There were others who were saying, Christ who? Where? Without Christ, things fall apart. And it took years. It took God to send a particular man with a... a, You know, there are people with beautiful hearts. 
to come into that place and begin to work a healing for things to start working again. If you are not in Christ, if you are not one in Christ, your life will crumble. Your life will fall apart. I beseech you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, remain in Christ. Oh yeah, I know. There are times when you don't feel like. That's why we need each other. If you are not in Christ, then you are not one with God. You are an object of his wrath. God has wrath. We shouldn't forget that. He's a loving God. He's a good God. But there are also some things that just basically in in, in the (laughs) English of today, there are just some things that tick him off. And he's going to deal with them in wrath. That's why we say we're in the grace period. That wrath is coming. So Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3 tells us that If you are not in Christ, you are an object of God's wrath. That's not his idea. That's not his desire for you to be an object of God's wrath. That's why he sent Christ. For you to be in him so that you are saved from that wrath. And if anything I read in Revelation is is, is to go by, the wrath that God will unleash on this world in in the great tribulation is not something I want to experience. Later on, after the judgment... So, if you're not in Christ, get right with him through Jesus Christ. Get right with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only way. He's the truth and he's the life. No one will get to God. No one can be one with God except if they go through Jesus Christ. That's John chapter 14 verse 6. So, you just need to confess in prayer with your mouth that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one that you believe That God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. That is how you become one with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess it with your mouth. Hallelujah. So having done that, let's talk about your growth and walk in Christ afterwards. Becoming one in Christ is the being born again. Becoming one in Christ is where you start. It's where everybody starts. Wherever, however it happened with you, but that's where everybody starts. And it's different for everybody. Some of us were born in a hospital. Perfect birth. No problems. Some premature birth. Some cesarean. And all sorts of things. For others, there were complications. For others, it was just okay. But the fact is, we were born. Some of us, we were studying for a geography test from four exams that we were preparing for and the Spirit of God just hit me right there. And I I took that book and I, I just knew I needed to have Christ in my life. I have a friend who was listening to a song by one group uh, the, the, this Christ, Christian band that do reggae and one of the songs in there just got to him and he knelt and he prayed to receive Christ. For some of, some of us, you were in a meeting where someone's 
presented the gospel and they challenged you to, to, to live for Christ and that's what happened. However, you were born, but make sure that you were born in Christ. <laughs> All right? That's the beginning. Babies are nice. Babies are sweet. One of the things I miss is baby breath. It, it, it's, it's, you, hold a, you, you hold a baby and you go, ah, you, you not expect anything nasty. They're just, just nice baby breath. <laughs> Unlike us, we have to brush our teeth and, you know, but, but babies can also be messy. Yeah, they go when, at a time when they really shouldn't go. You know what I mean? And then diapers and everything. There was one time, I don't know if uh, Brother Namson remembers this. There was one time we agreed we are going to be in suits, present team, present worship team. And I was leading and I was in my suit. And we got to church and I got our son and I put him on, on, on the shoulder here. Because I knew, ah, but by the time we get to the, to the door of the church, there was this lady who would all say, ah, baby. And they take the baby away from me. You know, I, I move from the car and I'm going there and I just hear, Rrr. And my jacket, my jacket, and I was leading the worship team. And I took off my jacket, and I went in front. And I remember one of our brothers who was, uh, who was heading the, 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 the worship team, his name is David. He says, we agreed we are going to wear suits. I said, David, you don't have babies. I'll just lead. That's babies. Babies in Christ also mess up. And there are things we have to teach each other. This is how we eat. This is when we do this. And so on and so forth. Making disciples is not easy. But that's the core. To make sure that they remain in Christ. John writes later on, I think it's in 3rd John. He says, I am glad that they are, you are still walking in Christ. I hear that you are still walking in Christ. That gives me joy. To hear that after all these years, all that was taught to you, you continuing. That gives him, that gave him joy. So remain in Christ. But the point I'm making in all this is that, look, to be one with Christ, to be one with God, is a personal decision. It's a personal decision. The, the, I talked about the call to oneness and why oneness is important. I talked about it being a personal thing. Now let's come to the, to, this, to the other point. I think it's the fourth point. It is also a community thing. Being one in Christ is a community thing. Now, in John chapter 17, verse 22, Jesus Christ said, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. He is addressing the community that he had begun, that he had instituted. The community he had put together. Technically, this community was launched in Acts chapter 2 verse 4. First with the Jews and then later on with the Gentiles. He is praying for the disciples that he had with him at that time and also those of us who were to come and those who will come after us. Paul captures this very well in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We need to read, you need to read the whole chapter where he's talking about the body. And he says, basically, that we all have the same spirit. If you receive Jesus Christ 
from the way scripture tells us, you are given the spirit of Jesus Christ. Okay? So we have the same source. Amen? We have the same source. We are all different by God's design. We are all different. We come in all sorts of shapes and sizes and heights and color and whatnot. Different personalities. And that's the way God made it to be. There was a discussion on one, some, one, some forum. People were saying, Jesus was white. Therefore, Christianity is a wise man's religion. Ah, okay. So, Jesus was white. Uh, but he lived in Palestine. Uh, so, Jesus, we know, was a Jew. Are Jews white or black? It was a very interesting discussion. But by the end of the day, it was God's design. That he was the way he was. He was in that tribe, in that people group. And you and, he, you and I are in this people group. Then there are others who are in another people group. We fail to realize that the differences were actually designed by God. The personality styles we have are designed by God. Amen? It's just the way God has decided that we are going to operate. When you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you realize that we can't all hold the same function. We can't. There are some people in this church, they have never stood here to bless us through preaching or teaching. And if we ask them to do that, they would collapse. There are others who have actually said, Pastor, I know my place. This is my place. Preaching there? No. But the amount of impact they give on this church, amazing. And they are okay. They're okay with it. There are some people in this church. You just hear from people around town. So and so. Okay, that person can do this. We didn't know. You are here. Then there are some of us who love to stand in front and talk. Different functions. The same God. And he has gifted us differently so that the body of Christ may benefit. Somebody in here will benefit from the gift God has given you. Don't sit on it. Maybe you don't even know that gift. Go somewhere, explore, and and ask God, explore, who am I? One sister in here, I will not mention her name. (laughs) When she came, she was uh, in uh, hospitality. So hospitality, hospitality, and, and also praise team. In hospitality and praised him. And one day she said, you know what? I'm pushing it. I should be in the praise team. Found her place. Amen? But if you just sit there and just watch things happen, the thing that concerns you most when you come here is probably where you should be. When you come and you say, "Ah, but you know, pastor, there was a, I was wondering at church, if we probably that's what you should be minding that's that's where your value is and it's okay if you never show up if you are not prominent it's okay because prominence has also its costs to pay huh? yeah there are costs to pay when you are too prominent too but whatever god has given you whatever gifting god has given you 
Start to use it. Add value in other people's lives. Amen? Add value in other people's lives. It's a community. Paul also wrote to the Ephesian church in chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. Let's turn there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3 to 6. And this is a hint of what, what, is, what is going to come. He wrote to the Ephesian church and urged them in verse 3. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. He urged them, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Hallelujah. Make the, you keep the unity of the spirit of God through the bond of peace. There are sometimes we we'll rub each other off the wrong way. Because don't you know, iron sharpens iron. And I have seen that where they sharpen iron, sparks fly. Have you noticed? Sparks fly. Even when you're sharpening your knife, your kitchen knife, there, there are some sparks that happen. The knife leaves some of its iron on that thing they, they use to sharpen it. That's what relationships do. Hallelujah. But when you're keeping the unity of the spirit in peace and there is love enveloping everything, you can understand. You will come to appreciate that working in the unity of the spirit of God is nice. No wonder Jesus Christ calls us to be one in the spirit. Amen. He says there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called sorry, just as you were called to one, one hope. When you are called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Lord Jesus Christ that you and I have has given us the one spirit. Amen? He has given us his word. The one word. We may disagree on some things that we do or the way we do, the way we handle our hair, for example. We may disagree. Okay? Because for me, these days I've reached a point where I walk into the barber shop, I sit down, and the guy knows exactly what to do. They stopped asking me, how shall we do it? Because I'm beginning to lose some hair. There was a time, those of, those of you who have been with me from way, way before, there was, there was a time when there were styles happening in this head. There was a lot of hair. These days, there are not a lot. It, it's, it's going, Cindy, it's going. It just doesn't grow. So I may disagree and say, no, don't do your hair like that and so on. But, you know, let's, let's agree on something. Everybody needs Christ to know God because that's what the Bible says. Let's agree that everybody needs the spirit of God. Let's agree that we need to preach the gospel so that others should know him. Th those things we just need to agree because they are very clear. They're here. But if you don't like me because now I'm not wearing one of my Nigerian suits, eh, may the Lord have mercy on you. And help you to endure me when I don't wear it because you don't like it. Let's just live in peace. <laughs> but as a community, 
there's a reason why Jesus is asking us to be one. And that's what we're going to talk about next. Why oneness is critical. Again, the Lord does not leave us in the dark about why it is important that we should pursue oneness. He doesn't. When he says, I want you to be in me just like I'm in the Father, so that the Father should be in you as a person or even as a community, there's a reason. Back to John chapter 17, the Bible tells us in verse 24, Father, I desire that they they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. The Lord wants us wants to be with his people for eternity. That's the desire of Jesus Christ. It's right there in verse, verse 24. When you go to the book of Genesis, you discover that even at the beginning, God has always wanted to be with his people. He has always wanted to be one with his people. Amen? That you speak the same language. The Bible tells us of how God would walk in the cool of the day in, in the garden and commune with Adam and Eve. That has not stopped. When sin came in, God already put into action a plan that would restore that communion. And he did in Christ Jesus. And it will culminate in when we get to heaven. Because the great thing about heaven is that God will be with his people. Hallelujah. The alternative is not good news. Because don't you know, the Bible tells us that hell was not made for man. It was made for the devil and his angels. No man should be there. So that has not changed. God wants to be with his people for eternity. And he wants as many people to be with him through eternity. How this is going to happen is that he has trusted us to be one with him and execute the plan for more people to come into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. That's the heart of God. That's what drove Jesus Christ's ministry on this earth when he said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And when he goes, and Paul understood this very clearly when he says, you are ambassadors of Christ. God is is willing, God wants us to appeal to other people so that they also get connected with God through our word. So when Jesus says that in verse 20, when he says that there are those who will believe in me through their word, he set a system in motion. He set a machinery in motion. You cannot be a believer in Christ Jesus and not challenge someone to come to Christ. You have to at some point, in one way or another. That's what has been happening throughout all the ages. When he said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to baptize, uh, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And when you look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, Paul caught it very well when he says, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to teach these to qualified people who will also be able to teach others. Amen? 
If you are a father and you don't know where to start, start with your family. They will listen. Eventually. <laughs> Amen? They, they live with you. They, just tell them, today we are going to pray before we go to bed. Step one. Tomorrow, uh, we are going to read Psalm chapter one, verse one, today. And Psalm chapter one can take you through six days. Eh? Yeah, just read and say, you know, God is saying this and so on and let's pray. Somebody will hear. Somebody. And the more you do it, the small steps, the baby steps, God begins to open up more doors, more opportunities for you to meet with other people. And you begin to invite them to this community of Christ. Who doesn't want forgiveness? Who doesn't want the love of God? Who doesn't want the hope for eternity? So it's very critical that the oneness that we have is directed towards sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because at the heart of God, he does not want more people going into hell. He wants more people being with him, experiencing his love, his forgiveness, his kindness, his grace, his faithfulness. Hallelujah. It may take different, different forms. There are those who are good with young people. There are those who are good with different types of people. It's okay, but we really need to challenge people to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. If we truly believe in the power of the cross, as it was preached last Sunday, that should be our business. Hallelujah. That should be our business. There are some people you look at and you think, eh, this one, I've given up. This one will never come to know. It's okay. Just keep preaching the word. One day they will say there was somebody. There was somebody. One day they will say there was somebody. There's a guy where we live. One time he came. We, we talked and talked. He wanted to go into a business arrangement and uh, we couldn't because we were disagreeing on some things. And then I, I learned that he had lived uh, life as a as a son of a diplomat and things like that. And, and we got talking and, and uh, th th then I discovered, I'm talking to somebody who's drunk. You know, so at that point, I had a choice to make. Either I just dismiss him or let me talk to him some more. So I decided to talk with him some more. And we talked and we talked and then he left. Came back a few days, drunk again. And uh, uh, people say I'm patient, but this guy, yeah, yeah, I, I was stretched. Because he kept talking about things, he was touching me as he was talking. He was, he, I, I was like, ah, what? this guy, maybe a few slabs will put him in the right place. You know, he was really burning my fuse close. But, uh, so finally I said, look, you have my number. Call me and uh, come when you are sober. Uh, next time he came, <laughs> you guessed it, he was drunk. And he said, today I've come because I just want to talk with you. So I said, okay. So we got into the gate and we sat down and he started telling me about the things he was struggling with and his, his marriage and, and so on. So I spoke with him and I told him, um, scripture and I said Jesus this and, and told him the whole story and so on. He was like okay. Alright. Um, I think I'm going to go home now. Next time I come I think I'll come with my wife. The last time I saw him was a few months ago. He was driving and he just waved. He just said so barulero so 
like I'm sober today. <laughs> this guy tries my patience. <laughs> but I've had to say, maybe, maybe, one day, one day he's going to remember. One day, maybe, he's going to say, there was, there was that man who told me about Christ. Maybe one day. I've seen him. We hoot at each other. We, we drive past. And I'm saying, maybe. Next time I meet him, I'll not even ask what he has done. I'll just talk with him like. Because sometimes that's what the next person needs. Before they say, why have they been enduring me like this? There must be something. You never know. Oneness with God is critical. When we move as one in unity, we will get a lot more done than we can on our own. Okay? One plus one, one times one is one, right? One times one, put it in bracket to the power X is powerful. Where X is a number that you choose. It's called synergy. Amen? Synergy is amazing. Synergy is powerful. Synergy is this. This is the best way I can explain it to you. So promise on the keyboard, on his own, great playing. Okay? Great keyboard player. Very smooth. Mike on the bass, on his own. One of these days, don't rush out. Just listen to him when he plays. You, you say to yourself, this guy is good. All right? On his own. Our brother Chikondi on the drums, on his own. Really good. All right? I have listened to my wife in the kitchen sing. Really good. And I'm sure we can say the same thing about Menye and, uh, and, and Faith and Cynthia and Winnie and, and all the others. But when these people come together as one, you and I can testify. We always say, hey, today praise him. That's oneness. When there's discord, we also know. When there's oneness in the leadership at a place, things flow. Psalm 133. God commands a blessing where there is unity. When there's discord, people also know. They know. People can see things that you think they can't see. There are some homes I remember there was a place, my, my wife and I went to this place uh, to Blantyre. We needed to, to spend the night in Blantyre before going back to Zomba and so on. And we needed to find a place to stay and we couldn't think of anyone. So there was this relation that I remembered. Oh, we have a relation in this place. So we went. <sighs> you know when you walk into a home and you know things are not well? That was the time. You can tell. When there's synergy, when there's a oneness in spirit, you can get a lot more done. 
a lot more. In the book of Genesis, God had to put to stop a oneness that did not come from him. They said we'll build a a tower that will reach the skies. And they started doing it. And they were going to do it. And God said, "Uh -uh, let's go and confuse them. Now, if they were able to do that with a mandate that was not from God, how much more us who have got a mandate from God to make disciples of all nations, to preach the gospel of this good news? What if we, we decide to be one with God and one with each other and go for it? How many people are going to believe in Christ through the word that you and I are going to share? That's the question I'm asking today. Because that is the heart of God. Who is going to believe in Christ because of the word you have spoken? Hallelujah. May God give us the confidence to speak the truth of Christ to people in love. To the end that they will decide, I want to be one with this God. And when they look for evidence of God's existence, they should see God's glory among us. Because Jesus says that when we are one, the glory of God will be revealed. Amen? When we are one and we love each other, one of the commandments gave to his disciples was to to love each other just just like Christ loved them. And when people see love, They want to be a part of it. Hallelujah. I hope that's the reason why you flock to weddings. Because you see love. Enough said, huh? (laughs) Okay. But where love is glowing, where there is a oneness, people want to be there, want to be a part of it. Told you about how many times speaking for myself and other parents as well, when there is a show of affection between a husband and wife, the kids want to be part of it. And other people begin to notice. There was a time at a church where I had, apparently it was very, very apparent, and, but there was this lady who always kept coming and said, look at them, it's like they were married yesterday. Huh? You have come from the same home, you come here, you continue showing each other love, you know, you're making some of us who have been married long to look bad. It was kind of like a joke. But the fact is, people see when there's oneness. So, in closing, we see that God wants us to be one with him through our relationship with Jesus Christ and with one another. We need to move as one. Amen? To keep the unity of the spirit of God. He wants to be with us. Being one with him means we remain in him just like he will remain in us. And it's a decision we need to make personally and it's a decision that we need to bring to the community of believers of Christ and say, as for me, I'll be one with Christ. Hallelujah. Yes, we go through trying times. You will see that oneness come and refuel your strength. You will see it. Hallelujah. Give yourself to the work of the Lord. Give yourself to God. 
And, and trust me, at the right time, God will send his people to water you as well. To encourage you as well. Amen. Because you reap what you sow. Pray for somebody. Visit somebody. Encourage somebody. Hallelujah. So this shows that we are his. And it also gives us an advantage to getting others into the family of God. Because they see that oneness. They see that love. They see that care. Hallelujah. It may not be much. Sometimes it's just you are in the area. You are driving by. You stop and you say hi. Some five minutes you talk and and you go. You may not see it as much. But for the person who has been visited, they are thinking, hey, they took the time to stop and say hello. You have planted something. Or they took the time to tell me about their walk in Christ and how I can walk with Christ too. You've planted something. Amen? So the question I have for us to think about and to work on this week is, are you one with Christ? Are you remaining in God? Have you chosen to be with God in spite, despite Many of us, of us have got what they call, I could have, should have, would have. They haven't happened. But in spite of those, have you chosen to remain in Christ? Because you realize that in Christ, everything is held together for you. Amen? Have you chosen as a community to remain in Christ? As leaders, have you chosen to remain in Christ? Because the oneness that God wants us to pursue and to have has got threats. There are things that are out there that want to take down this oneness, that want to destroy this oneness. But we know from scripture that this oneness is good for us. So the question I have for you Are you one in God through Christ? Are you one with God through Christ? Number one. Number two, if you are, have you chosen to remain in Christ and his people? And then number three, I want to ask you this question. How do you promote oneness in the body of Christ? How do you promote oneness in the body of Christ? Next week, we are going to be looking at how we promote this oneness and how it benefits us. Amen? We are going to look at some obstacles that come in that do not want the, the oneness in Christ to show. What can we do to make sure this oneness is beginning to manifest in our lives and in the lives of others among us? Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word that you have spoken to us today. It is very clear that you want us to live in the oneness of the spirit. You want us to remain in you just as you want to remain in us. That we may indeed testify and say, the Lord God 
has never left me nor forsaken me. And the many things you have promised to do through our lives, that by the end of the day, when those things have been done, we'll be able to look back and say, we shook it, didn't we? Knowing that our strength comes from you. Knowing that you carry us through. Knowing that you have chosen to work through us, that others will believe in Christ, that others will come to know the hope of glory in eternity through Christ, that others will be saved, O oh God, from the wrath to come and begin to experience your love, your forgiveness, your comfort, your guidance that comes through Jesus Christ. I pray, O oh God, that this word will continue to play in our lives, in our minds, as we continue to think upon it and allow you to work wonders in our lives, to work extraordinary things through our lives in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Amen and Amen.